0: hello i am jason and i am richard this is episode
1: 26 of fire in the hole fire in the hole what did we do this time man we had uh, john Yu on filmmaker extraordinaire yes spectacular spectacular man yeah it was a great time yeah uh also uh,
0: he came from a uh, neuroscience background but now he's into film documentary uh he's uh he's messing around with new technologies 360 video world traveler world traveler vr experimentation type
1: of guy yeah we talked a bit about his creative process uh, being a visible minority and in, in canada oh yeah we did that too yeah the uh, impending doom of ai that's right that's right the the, the, <laughs> yeah. the terminator scenario yeah mm-hmm. we went all over the place <laughs>
0: Yeah, but I, I, I think uh, it was a, I, f- I felt like I used my brain this time. Yeah. I mean, I use my brain sometimes, but like it, I, w- I felt like we were on through the for the full stretch here. I think John made us work. Absolutely. Despite our best efforts to inebriate him. <laughs> <laughs> we'll
1: have to have him back because this is this definitely seems like a first part.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So if you're feeling lazy, if you're in that sort of uh, reality TV mood, then uh, this may not be your episode. But if you want to hear some fascinating things, this is going to be a good time. Agreed. Fire in the
1: hole. Fire in the hole.
2: This is also new.
1: It's not new. I realize that nothing we've been doing is new.
2: We haven't been tapping into new areas of the brain, we've just been awakening the most ancient. This technology is simply a route to powers that conjurers and alchemists used centuries ago human race lost that knowledge and now I'm reclaiming it through virtual reality you're moving too fast even with all these new abilities that are dangerous man may be able to evolve a thousandfold through this technology but the rush must be tempered with wisdom <laughs>
0: Hi, Richard. Hey, what's up, man? I'm all right, you? Yeah, pretty good. So here we are, firing yeah. the hall. Firing the hall to you, sir. And, and, you, and you too. And also to you. And to yours.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: so uh, today we have a guest who uh, is a friend of yours. Yeah. Uh, and I've met him, of course, but it only feels, it would feel right if I introduced him. I think you should introduce
1: him. John Yu. Hello, John. Hi. Welcome.
3: Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Well filmmaker.
1: Pretty good tennis player.
3: I'd say I've been pretty awesome tennis player actually. <laughs> well, that's cool. Yeah.
1: World traveler. Yes.
0: Asian. <laughs> yeah, because you
3: can't tell on the radio. That's right. I'm also really yeah. proud
0: of the fact that because see you're the second Asian guest we've had on the show and that in itself is not important except that we're already our batting average is better than the Oscars, Hollywood. We've already featured more Asians than all of show business. We're um, big on diversity here at Fire in the Hole, and we just needed to put I'm, I'm totally fine with it. No, that's fine. It's it's like I'm
3: not putting on an accent. It's oh, No, fine. don't no don't do that. No, okay, no, 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 it's no. good. No, but I just I, I, <laughs> I want to. I'm either. proud of
0: the fact that we beat Hollywood today. <laughs> yeah. Small steps. Yeah. Towards greatness. So welcome, John. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. It's it's a beautiful night, <laughs> isn't it? Isn't it a little freaky? It's yeah. wet. It's For wet it to and be and this warm outside, outside. Actually,
3: yeah, yeah. It's like it's it's a time of year where you know the months the months of accumulation of dog shit kind of reveal itself. <laughs> yes, in a sort of blooming nice. perfume ah. around the city. The <laughs> dog shit is blooming. Yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah.
0: Yes. Mm, mm. Wonderful bouquet. <laughs> yes, all the crimes committed yeah, a couple of months ago that were covered up also are thawing right now.
3: That's yeah, sounds
1: All
0: exactly. kinds of things going on. some bodies. Yep. Bicycles, mangled bicycles. That's a thing. In I the picked town. up
3: my mangled bicycle. I left my bicycle downtown uh, since before winter. Wow! Because I have become so sedentary in my old age that I've decided I went for you know all you can eat buffet, yeah. Indian buffet, and left it there in the fall. In the fall, and it was
0: still there. That's pretty impressive. Yeah,
3: no, it was a huge surprise to me, and I was, I was very pleasant. That the only damage was it was to the front wheel, which that's, presumably that's right. was a snow plow that re- plowed into it, but very you know, likely. Yeah.
0: Yeah, snow plows give no fucks.
3: <laughs> yeah. But I, it was it was just it was it was a great feeling, just walking down the street, sauntering on a nice sunny day, the snow's melting and just unlocking that U lock and just walking off with my bike and just like <laughs> win. That's pretty nice. cool. Yeah. yeah that's yeah. pretty
0: cool. I do I I like I said, like there's easily a dozen around my house that look mm-hmm. like uh, the hulk fucking flossed with them, you know, like they just they're just destroyed, and I, I always wonder like who just leaves their bikes there, so I guess now I know,
3: yeah, that guy, that I'm guy that guy,
0: you're that guy, John, yeah, cool man, so uh, I guess a natural first step for me would be just to ask, like I know you're a filmmaker, and I know that's kind of your 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 passion and also your your occupation, like you live off of your work, right
3: that's correct, basically been working in film uh and video for the last five years maybe five six years okay
0: and you so went I, to school
3: i went to school at concordia and i studied in a program called intermedia cyber arts Whoa! so it was a program that was a multidisciplinary uh um, performative slash digital arts program okay so in that program we did a lot of different things was that the
0: hexagram the hexagram people yeah the
3: same sort of group so it's like a lot of digital artists a lot of uh you know you learned about robotics and stuff like that on a very superficial level but enough to get you working with the technology and to build things that's cool um so i that was actually my second degree so i did that and then i Decided, came you know, like most people out of art school, I came out and like, oh, what the fuck am I gonna do? <laughs> so I decided to kind of incorporate my other skills and uh, build a company, um, and I started doing a lot of different things. One of which is uh, producing videos and films.
0: Okay, and when you say other you skills, uh, you've had some business uh, sort of flirtations with the, the business world prior to uh, filmmaking.
3: No, actually, I I studied in neuroscience before. And I worked in research, so I took those kind of, those analytical and, uh, yeah, those analytical practical skills in that, bringing that to an artistic creative environment. That's really interesting. And, you know, somehow I found myself doing websites, so, and I'm not, you know. I'm trying to do to less web, fewer websites these days. Neuroscience to film. film,
0: that's a transition I haven't heard before. That's that's really interesting. Have you always had the bug for, for film?
3: Yeah, I mean I I started in photography. So when I was in doing my in Alberta, where I'm from, uh, shout uh out to at the university. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Shout out to these those oilers. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I uh, I, I, was, I started out doing photography. So photography's always been a passion of mine. And when I started out in university in Alberta, I was uh, shooting photos for the you know university paper, a very you know Peter Parker type of thing. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So eventually, when I came to Montreal, uh, while working at you know, McGill doing re- working research, I got into uh, moving images. So I did a lot of uh, a lot of workshops and basically studied on my own to do film and video and then eventually a few years after that, I decided to you know go full steam into a fine arts program and found myself at the program at Concordia
0: okay and yeah. would you say that it was a like a good experience like did you did you gain knowledge
3: oh yeah I, th- I think it was a very you know it was not what I expected, but I think that was a good thing okay. Meaning uh, that,
0: yeah. Mean, what does that mean?
3: Meaning that I, you know, it was, uh, it didn't, you know, the Concordia's program is very. It's particularly this program is very concept driven, which was is great for me personally because I'm, uh, I'm, uh, I like, you know, I enjoy that aspect of work.
0: The design. The, the
3: design, p- cr- uh, cr- creative thinking. Um, you know, I like to tie a, li- a lot of this philosophy into my work and. That's kind of how I saw saw the connection between science and art. Um, And in doing so, uh, that meant that to learn a lot of these things, I had to do it on my own. So as somebody that has had a university experience and has had that self-taught sort of uh, mentality, um, it was relatively easy for me. It was a lot of work, mind you. Um, I don't think I worked so hard in universities before. Even my neuroscience degree was a lot easier than my fine arts degree. Really? Yeah. But um, at <laughs> the same time, yeah. But I mean, it's a different mode of learning, right? Was you it push di- yourself.
0: Because the neuroscience was more like uh,
3: logical? Um, no, it's more systematic. Let's right. say that. Okay. Right, like in in particular at Concordia, a lot, a big complaint, a lot of other students that I knew had, was that there was a lack of direction in the program. Oh, and that for, sounds familiar. Yeah, but for somebody like me who kind of has had the structured experience and knows how to navigate within a university environment and how to learn on her on his own. Um, it was, was pretty ideal yeah. for me in the sense mm-hmm. that it gave me a lot of creative uh, uh, freedom in terms of what to learn and how to incorporate the things I was learning. So, uh, you know, even to this day, it's unfortunate because I, I feel like I haven't had the opportunity to fully embrace, um, you know, what I want to do in in create in creation and art. Which is? Um You know, have you know more of a philosophical based practice, or have you know the freedom to pursue projects that I, you know, completely. You mean like like
0: have like a like a lab?
3: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or have like that that space to play because like the constraints I deal with nowadays is that you know like everybody else, I got to pay the bills, right? So I take on contracts, and you know what's I'm very fortunate to have the type of work that allows me to be creative but it's not a complete creativity in the sense that
0: you're still working with what the customer i'm gives. still
3: working with a client mm-hmm. or a customer or a team and you know you you know you use creative skills but you're not completely uh you don't have complete creative control. you're still
0: at the service of someone else's vision or lack thereof
3: yeah exactly i mean i'm it's what's great is i have I, alongside my work i have my own projects as well i'm trying to get that going but my my complaint in this instance is that you know, you only have so much time in a day and so much energy that to devote to devote to devote to something. And if you're completely, you know, spe- you're spending ten hours a day working for a client, that means you only have maybe you know another five hours in the day,
0: and not really good five hours, right? No, those They're are like those a,
3: are those are exhausted, lack of sleep, yeah, tr- coffee-driven hours spent, and then yeah.
0: suddenly you have to, yeah, you spend the majority of your time with with situations that are not terribly personal to you. And then you you in, in a ex- sort of half exhausted state, have to um, take a deep breath mm-hmm. and like refocus on what you really care about, right?
3: Yeah, but I think that's the reality that most artists and most creators deal with. Absolutely. There's nothing.
0: Actually, most most creatives. I mean, the are same so thing if I, if surviving that they don't get to that that time. They don't. They're not even able to get to that.
3: No, exactly. I mean. As a, even as a, if I were to, you know, obtain grants and things like that to do, uh, the projects I want to work on solely, there is no way around spending other time doing like, you know, grant applications and stuff right. like that. So, event, you know, it's about a compromise. And my choice was to devote my time building my own company and my business rather than writing grants. You know, and you know, sometimes you know, I get I have less time to devote to my creative projects, and other times I have, you know. To, time to do that what i've been really fortunate in um, being able to do the last few years is to travel a lot and so that's informed a lot of what i do in terms of filmmaking and video and photos and doing the stuff i like to do and at the same time being able to incorporate that into a larger project rather than just having vacations like i don't think i've actually been on a vacation in the last 10 years
0: and so you've been traveling as a result of contracts or, or gigs?
3: Sometimes, sometimes. Um, but, you know, for for instance, uh, last year I went to Morocco uh, and I was working on a personal project that I've been developing for a few years now, which is a documentary project on um, uh, the punk movement in Morocco. Oh, okay. And... and finally oddly enough that also took me to go to Cuba to pursue the same sort of thing so you know not paid this is on my own coin type of self self-produced but hopefully maybe somebody will pick it up you know and this is something that uh, I'm able to do at this point in my life mm-hmm. and I feel like that's the kind of you know these are the self the investment you have to make in yourself and the the sort of risks you take you know like when i'm taking time off i'm not getting paid vacation pay. i'm just not making any money right and on top of that i'm paying money into these projects sure but uh for me as a person in terms of personal growth and in terms of building something that i believe in and working on a project that i'm passionate about that's the reward
0: well i mean this is no different than you know having a day job and you know having like a half assembled you know I don't know, classic car in your garage, mm-hmm. you know, and you troll online for car parts, you know, and over the years you sink probably an unreasonable amount of money and time. But this is your passion. You're building something with your mind, with your, with your, uh, with your interest, with your imagination. It's no different, really.
3: No, I completely agree. And I think there's sometimes this sort of perception that uh, one is better than the other. Right. You know, and I've had, you know, we have friends that... I have a lot of friends that work in the same mode that I do, and also a lot of friends that work nine to five jobs. And I actually, personally, I don't see, uh, I don't see that one is better than the other. I think it's just more suited to a particular personality, or the particular position and time of your life, and what your priorities are. Yeah. You know, like what I do, it's you know I do not conceive of. My, I don't see myself in, in in a mode where I would say, for instance. Uh, buy a house or have a car just because you know
0: it's the thing to do i don't
3: i don't live with a lot of security right now which is fine by me because i that's the lifestyle i've chosen for myself um but is it
0: security really right
3: but that's it like i'll never get fired
0: i know people who are locked into those systems you know with the mortgage the car and everything and sir it does provide them with a certain kind of security blanket but like you said you know what happens if you get fired what happens if you, you know a pipe explodes in your house and suddenly yeah. you're living in a money pit and uh, exactly.
1: so it those also limits here what you can do right like it's, uh, it's yeah like this whole thing of uh, whether you are you own your possessions or your possessions own you that type well I right? do have
3: one thing that owns me and it's my dog okay so okay. I mean I do have a little dog and unfortunately I feel like that's the only thing I owe responsibility that's to. Respectable. These days. It's respectable. It's <laughs>
0: respectable, and the fact that you feel that way about the dog is also kind of innovative because most people get dogs so they have something to feel superior to. Uh, you actually seem to care about your animal. <laughs> I, I honestly do believe that. Yeah, you think that's the thing. If you watch people and the way they behave with their dogs, it's the same way they behave with the kids. You know, and I think that's the mistake that some people make that have no children. And then when you talk to people with children, they're like, oh, that's like Muffy. She totally always, oh, she goes into the <laughs> fridge and I tell Muffy, don't do it, baby. And, and you're like, and then the parents looking at them like, I have, I have a fucking human being at home that's going to grow up and you're talking to me about your fucking pomeranian dog, like, fuck you. Yeah, I do that. But I can <laughs> under- <laughs> but I understand the compulsion to, yeah. to do that, draw that comparison because that, unfortunately, that superiority thing game Is done with children as well. Yeah, you can see it in the way parents behave, where you can tell it's not really about the kids; it's about them, right? Like you know, like celebrities with their fucking fancy names for their kids, right? Yeah. Because if you're an actor or you're a singer, you can't just give your kid. You can't call your kid John, right? He has to be Mm Moonshadow, or Star Star Spangle, or Ultraverse, (laughs) or whatever the fuck, because. You somehow haven't... It's about you. Clearly, it's it's still about you, right? And your yeah. vanity.
3: Did, did Kanye have his kid yet?
0: Oh, yeah. What's his name? Both of them. There's, Both? there's North. North. And okay. now there's Saint. Okay. Saint? Really? Saint West, yes. Oh, shit.
1: Oh. Why do we keep talking about Kanye? <sighs> happens every time. I
3: mean, I, I'm just, you know, whatever. I mean, he's a
1: good example
0: <laughs> of someone who, who <laughs> kind make of com- yeah, makes things He's a sociopath. He's completely makes things about himself. <laughs> exactly. Um, we love talking about Kanye. We
1: love it. We love to hate.
0: Well, he's just a—he's just a kind of a perfect representative for. Some yeah, he's—he's he's a
3: representation. He's not even a real person. Yeah, exactly. no, I don't Not to that. me.
0: Not yeah. to me. And that's why I feel comfortable hating him. Yeah. Because he's a thing. <laughs> <laughs> he's a thing. Yeah. Uh, okay, so uh, filmmaking—I mean, that's pretty broad. Clearly, your work involves—I know, I guess—corporate gigs when you're doing your your. Uh, fire um, and hold.
3: Fire and hold. I don't know what that means. Uh, when oh, whenever crack, people crack when a beer? Crack beer okay, okay. Um, I, uh, you know, I, I don't really get a lot of corporate gigs. I mean, I feel like um, I do a lot of work with other artists. Okay. And that's that's partly by choice. Collabs. Um, it's partly, I mean, partly because I always want to be able to make more money for the time I invest. And, you know, working with other artists and musicians is not necessarily the way to go for that. Um. But I mean, I do get to work with other people that inspire me and, you know, I get to meet really cool people, you that's, know, that's, that's really cool say, people. And that's actually, that's, it's
0: always been the best part. For yeah.
3: Me. For me, it's all, it's a, it's an incredible part of my, what I do and particularly for me, cause I, I'm really interested in doing, you know, hearing people's stories and doing documentaries and you know, I I had a chance to work in fashion, doing fashion videos, but it's it's kind word. of like a weird yeah. hubris, I think,
0: for me. Yeah, it's a very bizarre scene. Yeah. Yeah.
3: And, in, you know, I have absolutely no desire to work in, in producing ads. Right. You know, working for... I've had a few experiences working for ad agencies that are the worst. Absolute worst. Why? It's because... I don't have a nine to five job, so I don't have to deal with idiots. Okay. And I feel like a lot of these ad agencies and their clients—it's—it's—it's a self-justification program system. Oh, they're
0: locked into that mentality of ass-covering.
3: Yeah, and and you're dealing with managers, right? Right. What I like to—I mean, doing what I do, I personally like to engage with people and work directly with people. And if I have to go through a manager and get things checked and verified or whatever, that defeats the whole purpose of that. So yeah, I'll make a little less coin, but at the same time, I'll get to, you know, be invested in the projects I work in, get to meet interesting people, and um, you know, hopefully, you know, exert my creativity and with some some measure of freedom. That's
0: nice. That's yeah. a nice. That's a nice way of looking at it. I mean, I don't know. I think uh, for filmmaking, for for arts, it's definitely something that's crucial. But I think it's does it's not limited. I think Richard made me realize it's that sort of endeavor is not limited to our our kind of chosen field right like you you've you've been in that situation i think that's probably what you would ideally like too right is to to, to have the
1: freedom to I'm creative. also an
3: anarchist, so I don't take. I, I've you're been told I'm not authority. a team player, <laughs> but I, I totally disagree with that. Uh, my my excuse was like I'm, I'm a great team player as long as I'm calling the shots. Right, you know, things as as on the bus. I, yeah. I like to
0: say I'm a team player, just not your team. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, stuff like
3: that. Like I, if I make my
0: own team or it's a cool team, yeah, I'm like, a team. Player. Yeah, if
3: I'm a team player, you're not on my team. You're right. cut. Yeah.
1: <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, we listen to a lot of uh, comedy podcasts, and we, like a lot of comedians talk about the same thing where you. Dealing with some executive producer guy who's telling you what's funny and what's not funny. I think like the first Louis C.K. Uh, sitcom, which was ended up being horrible. It was like Crash up. and Burn because it was uh, th- uh, thwarted by like Yeah, executives. executives just like cut off at every pass. Just like, no, no, do it, do it this way, do it that Our way. Our statistics
0: show that this is funny. Right. Okay, so
1: okay. if you're a comedian working on something that's funny, like you should be the authority on funny. But no, you've got this executive douchebag. It's like no, try and do it this way because you know people will react to it better. Yeah, the numbers. Well, you don't show. know. You don't know funny. Yeah, I know funny. I'm the expert of funny.
3: Have you guys yeah. seen that movie Moneyball? It's yes. all about the numbers. Yeah, no, that's a good example.
0: That's <laughs> yeah. a good example. But uh, I mean, uh, no, that's it's exactly the point. And uh, like even last week we were talking about this or uh, regarding the um, the, the impo- you're talking about imposters that's that's a big that's a big problem i think that that exists at all levels uh possibly more now than i've ever seen right but there's these
1: weird gatekeepers
3: but i think that's a management situation because you when you know when you have people whose roles are not clearly defined and i think this is a this is particularly a north american work structure problem right where you have managers they need to constantly justify themselves and their existence and what they do so they're Because their roles are not defined, they kind of deal with this insecurity, and they inject themselves and micromanage at every level instead of trusting their team.
2: Right,
3: right. Where we've
0: worked under some of these people. (laughs) Yeah, no, I I think we all have, and it's it's really
3: frustrating because you know uh, you these people these they 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 create a false sense of of um, authority. Right, and unfortunately. You know, with a top down structure that we deal with in working with organizations here in North America, you know, if you're there's this idea that you're working under them and you're not collaborating, right? The lack of collaboration within the workspace is a huge problem, and the idea of titles is very problematic. And I don't think, uh, based on what I've read and what I've talked to other people, um, friends of mine that work in Europe, uh, particularly in Scandinavia, they don't have this issue. Like managers have, deal a specific job. Project managers have a very specific job, and they allow the other people on their team to do very specific jobs. Okay, they're not and a catch-all. Catch no, no, it's not a catch-all phrase, or... and everybody is very uh, aware of their role on a team, right? So you don't have, you know, people trying opinions, to make up their jobs. People and... trying to make up their jobs, and like, and, and it's like very, I feel like every time I've worked on in a corporate structure has been very cumbersome i don't feel efficient at all yeah or or creative or free you know and i feel like that except for somebody of my type it affects my ability to work
0: i think that these these structures too don't necessarily attract the creative types either right Mm. because they're it's uh you can just kind of be plugged into the system and kind of truck along and then Maybe if you have a little bit more motivation than the next guy, you'll ap- apply for a manager position at some point or you'll work your way up the hierarchy. But essentially, you're never really confronted with a moment where like, OK, you need to be creative or you cannot advance further. It's not really a requirement in the corporate structures as such. Servitude, no, it's when
1: Eric was talking about him not wanting to go up the, the corporate ladder because he would stop doing what he likes doing and then right. he just end up managing people.
0: There you go. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Yeah. that's a very, that's, a very like, that's an indictment right there of, of an inefficient system right? right. Which, uh, which punishes people for, for moving up
1: yeah if you're really good at doing something that you like doing then you move up and then you're no longer doing that anymore right. you're either training other people or you're leading other people to do it But it's almost like they take training. advantage
0: of the fact that you're passionate about that to try to get more work out of you more work that they don't want that someone else does want to do or they
1: want if you're really good they want you to advance so that you can kind of replicate yourself right Mm -hmm. right so they could clone you they can create that's the that's the best way that they can come up with for you to make clones of yourself
0: yeah that makes sense yeah that definitely makes sense uh you
1: get further and further away from what you actually like doing and do more and more kind of managerial stuff yeah,
0: more paperwork. I mean, like uh, policemen, right? They they do this too. Like it's even a cliche in films, you know, where like, you know, the the guy who doesn't want to get made captain doesn't want don't put me behind a desk. Come on, yeah, yeah I want to yeah. stay on the street. You know, Is that Mel Gibson. Sure. That's like every every <laughs> cop cliche ever, right? Yeah. Come on, don't put me behind a desk. Your days are over, and it's almost like they're cutting your balls off, right? Yeah. When you make captain, they like snip them right off and like go where, go grow a like pot that. belly. Yeah, yeah,
1: you have the people who are the subject matter experts. And then you have the people who kind of bring the subject matter experts together and protect the stakeholders' interests and, you know, client-facing roles, et cetera. And,
3: and, it, and don't get me wrong. I mean, I think the, the uh, inverse of that also is true, meaning that there are people out there that, are, that want to manage and are good managers, right? And I think it's just this sort of top-down structure that we deal with Where we say managers are higher up than this uh, other creatives or whatever, I think that is in itself the problem.
0: Right. Well, the good managers also end up getting hamstrung by fearful upper management types as well. Some people who are even further up the the careerists or even further up the chain uh, and start to resent the creative manager or the one that wants to you know maybe do it more organically or actually wants to bring the team together yeah that that person becomes a threat suddenly right yeah um because uh that kind of thinking may endanger their position at some point but i mean if if you look at a lot of the new companies like video game companies and uh i'm I'm guessing your company as well um clearly that way of thinking is being challenged right so how how do you run your team that in order to to stay away from that, that that type of uh those pitfalls
3: well i don't really have a team i mean my company is just myself and my partner and we what we do is we get contracts and we subcontract well we we assemble people that we know okay mission mission impossible yeah but that's it and and i think (laughs) that's that's another way of approaching a problem and approaching uh contracts for instance because what that allows us to do is pick the right people for the right job right and Ultimately I think everybody wins in that situation. G- generally speaking, you don't waste, you know, effort or skills, you know. Um, occasionally you get that lazy intern, but you know, they're interns, so you don't Yeah, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. You boot them. Yeah. But also but, you
0: don't get caught in that weird uh, friendship clause, right? Where like the next project that comes along as much as you like this person that's on your team, you feel that they may not be the best person for this next project, but now because they're part of the family, you ended up using them anyway. Here, you don't have that problem because you can just yeah, select, no, put together exactly. A team we, every time, right?
3: I think I think between the people I work with and my friend, they're all friends. That's another great thing you get to work with your friends. But it's also acknowledged that nobody takes it personally if you don't work with them. You know, everybody has their own set of skills. They have their own portfolio. They do what they do, and you know, you, you don't. Nobody resent. Nobody steps on anybody's feet. You okay. Know? Like if you if we know you know oftentimes maybe you'll you know you'll hire somebody because you know that whatever they need the work or whatever that's not a problem you know they're still very good sure but But they
0: can't necessarily be your day-to-day like they can't be every day every time right
3: yeah no but i mean that's that's the thing is like you know these contracts i don't i think you get familiar working with people you work with but you also don't feel bad in dropping people from the team right right it's a it's an ongoing thing and You know, in that way, it's a very honest sort of environment, meaning that, you know, apart from just the work, you can have interpersonal fallouts, relationships fall through or whatever. And that's fine. You know, it's fine to just ghost on people. (laughs) Is that what you call it? (laughs) Yeah, I think that's what the kids call it these days. Ghosting. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I'm not 100% clear on ghosting yet. I know it happens at parties.
3: Oh, I just fall asleep. (laughs) I just, I work so much and I just, I use that as an excuse to just...
0: You pass out on the couch, yeah, I, just, oh,
3: that one beer got me,
0: yeah, it's funny though i I, I like <laughs> that uh, thing I oh, like I goodness. like sleeping in the middle of the party too. there's a weird, weird comfort in there, but <laughs> well, I mean, I
3: listen if I wasn't comfortable, I wouldn't be asleep. Oh, it's right? a compliment to the to exactly, the host. exactly. it's a compliment <laughs> to the host you have made me feel very comfortable success. you get a hundred percent five stars, and I'm gonna take a nap. Right.
1: It's, it's become a meme almost at this point, I think, has yeah. it?
3: Yeah, I think Richard, you, you made a mention of uh, starting a Tumblr, and <laughs> yeah. and it's funny because like that was maybe six months ago. And since then, there's maybe been another eight photos of me sleeping. Oh, on have Facebook. they really? I haven't yeah. seen. I think no. every holiday. We can do one of those flip books event. at the end of it. you
0: know, <laughs> <laughs> Over the yeah. years, your hair gets a little grayer. It's just like yeah. the couches change, the lighting changes, but there you are, always yeah. fast asleep. <laughs> but what's f-
3: what's funny now with social media is like all these people from my my my, my deep past have come out and, and uh, made, you know, kind of like a Django meshi style. Oh, yeah, he slept in my house. Oh, oh, oh. They're all coming <laughs> out of the woodwork. They're coming yeah. out of the woodwork. Yeah, making these accusations. <laughs> Unfounded accusations Alleg- against my character. Allegations, that's right. Uh, allegations, to, they're, uh, sorry. They're trying, they're
0: trying to, uh, yeah, they're assassinating your character. Yeah,
3: I'm totally innocent until proven guilty.
0: Right, not in this country,
1: apparently. Uh, but uh, yes. So you and Sylvie have that thing in common. Right. Like borderline narcoleptic thing? Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm always asleep.
3: I can't tell if she's sleeping. Yeah. It's okay. yeah. very okay. dangerous. Okay. But because, she's been the host and stuff so many occasions. So that's I'd, true. Yeah.
1: Have you
0: had people do things to you when you fall asleep? Because that sounds like an invitation at a party. I mean, tour.
3: I don't think I can talk about this on air. Oh, but you can oh i can I don't know.
0: <laughs> here's how this works i promise to cut it out and then oh. i don't <laughs> um, it's, it's, i guess it's I a measure know. of your
1: friends to see like how many dicks get drawn in your forehead <laughs> when you fall
3: asleep okay well maybe you can leave it as far but as you know what bringing back to the race thing i think yeah. my, ra- my like being this you know visible minority in the group has always protected me some, i was gonna things say things something a little but, bit. but i was afraid oh, you'd be yeah. offended. Bit. you know yeah. like growing up in alberta you know, I think people are very sensitive to that.
0: They're afraid. People are afraid of Asians. They are. Well, I yeah, have a theory. Yeah. There's an intimidation factor. Well,
3: first of all, we don't age. Yeah. And then second of all, I mean, we have very long memories.
0: Yeah. But I just think that just just because <laughs> literally like as far as, a, as a, a white Canadian or just a Canadian person or somebody born bred right here, that's basically the furthest you can go. Right to the other side is uh, is basically Asia, right? Like that's the furthest from from a uh, Canadian in a certain sense.
1: Uh, I don't know. Not from Vancouver. Well, yeah, yeah
0: but I'm. <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying. Anyway, my, is this <laughs> Vancouver
3: or Richmond. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Uh.
0: What I'm saying is, I think there is a standard starting intimidation factor and I even, I know I have Asian friends that have told me they've literally, they've played it up sometimes. They've, you know, they've acted like they didn't speak English or whatever just to fuck with, with someone because really? it intimidated them a little bit. Yeah, I mean, everybody does it. Everyone plays it up a little bit, right? Like black guys do it all the time, you know, even if they're not like tough, sometimes they'll just act a little thuggish just to just to fuck with another person's mm-hmm. like prejudices, you know, or do Well, I don't, th- I don't
3: think, and I, I, I agree and I think that happens more often than you think and I don't think that it's uh I think it's great person i yeah I, I don't think it's something I mean it's not something to be judged right. let's say I, I don't think it's it's um you know the the fact is that we live in a world where uh, we we use stereotypes yep. to kind of assess our environment, and I think it's a natural cause to play that sort of political game somehow as a visible person a visible minority or whatever like you know if I don't know you what do you know right you're going to talk right. to me i maybe I'm just going to maybe not say anything just look at you,
0: you know? but it's not, it doesn't <laughs> even have to be racial right like if, if you're no, like six foot it. four you're going to kind of cash in on that a couple of times yeah man I'd right? slam
3: dunk shit all the time right or just
0: <laughs> just like see someone being inappropriate and just kind of like just lurch over them and go like, oh fuck, okay,
3: yeah. I'm you know, and then
0: like the rest of the time you don't you don't use it, but just once in a while you press yeah. that button, you know, for fun. It's like having a superpower for sure. Yeah, yeah.
1: And nobody knows like what race you are, so you can just use the
3: racially oh, ambiguous
1: card. Yeah. Oh man, it it
3: uh, like it, Sumatran, right? It, exactly. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. Sure. Um, it got me out of some things.
1: All of a sudden, you're just going to like the Karate Kid crane pose.
0: Yeah, no. I, people never know what the fuck's going on, and it's it's been great. It's been great. It's been a lonely experience racially. Like I've never been able to thug it out with my peeps because I have no, there are no other uh, Egyptian Hungarians running around uh, anywhere, uh, at least not that I know of. But it does allow you to kind of uh, interlope, and you know, I was cool. I was down with the Asian guys. I was down with the Arabs. I was down with the black guys. It's cool. I was like, yeah, other.
3: <laughs> yeah, no. I, I think that's that's. That, I mean, I personally. Have, Have a theory about that and how, as um, as somebody that was born in Canada, as a I guess that second generation immigrant, um, you you naturally develop this sort of identity crisis, yeah. Because you you have both you're dealing with two sides. You know your authentic quote unquote authentic culture, which you're attached to your heritage, but But it's it's not your culture. It's a a fiction fiction as well but at the same time you're trying to deal with a society that is constantly judging you based on the way you look and so there's these different expectations of you and it's growing up it was really difficult to manage that you know i grew up in a in a community that was predominantly white i was always the you know the chinese kid right and you know we were one of two in a class of 30 and so you know you grew up with these expectations very subconsciously and uh you know you you have a hard time dealing with this and this might be a little bit you know uh, off to, like you no, know no, no. off no to the wild thing. side but no i i actually understand i feel like that sort of dynamic is what feeds into things like ext- um extre- extremism extremism okay. yeah cuz i i saw a little bit of this growing up in high school and i think i grew i went to i went i grew up in alberta edmonton alberta and what, like I said, I grew up usually being like the one or two, one of two Asian kids in my class up until I got to high school, and I went to a different high school that's further away from my place, and in a different parts of the city, and there they had a large Asian community, and I didn't even know Edmonton had that many Asians to be quite honest, and what I saw happening there was um, this desire on a lot on a part of a lot of Asians who did not end up in Asian clique these Asians would try to uh, compensate for that lack of identity by yeah, they, they being yeah, kind of like super badass yeah, yeah. and super cool like essentially effect. joining a gang yeah, 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 totally. you know I mean I at some point I was part of this gang uh-huh. and this idea of being super badass became a sort of uh, cohesive element in forming a small community of your own
0: it's also a defense mechanism it's also right? a defense mech-
3: yeah. mechanism mechanism and i when i hear about you know the situation in france with uh, uh islamic extremism uh, uh and home grown kids that grew up there i kind of get that when you're growing up in, a, in an environment in a in a culture that is uh identifying you as other you kind of want to act on that but at the same time you don't know what other means so you you formulate something that you know is punctuated more punctuated to to create some kind of contrast in the society that you're living in you fictionalize
2: it
0: you
3: fictionalize it you create a mythology around it and I think that's why you have you know kids that grew up in you know middle class suburbia joining ISIS and and you know crazy stories like that. I mean to me it's oh, not so the, okay. crazy.
0: You, 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 when you're saying extremism, you meant like like radicalization of of uh, yeah that's foreigners, what I was looking Westerners. for. Yeah, even
3: yeah. I mean I'm not saying that that's definitely the case, but my sense of it is like the dynamics, social dynamics that I grew up with as a as a visible minority. I can see how that's accentuated. Oh yeah, and totally. caused that situation mark, yeah. exactly. There's more recruiting exactly.
0: going on here. There's more effective recruiting going on in North America than anywhere in the world. Yeah, because uh, the kids here are the most far removed, and the picture of the jihad or where the fuck it is can be painted in a, with its full brushstrokes, full create, full like cinematic flair, right? Yeah, I you mean, that, really it comes, it they
3: present it as something that's kind of romantic in the oh, same yeah. way that. You know, I grew up watching Hong Kong gangster movies and romanticized what it meant to be a fucking badass gangster. Right. You know, and I think I mean at, at the same time that's not exclusive to visible minorities, but I feel like lacking a sense of belonging and lacking a sense of uh, belonging in the culture that you're living in, you did, lacking those those stories that are yours, you. You make reenact own, those stories you make and you exaggerate own. those stories absolutely right? yeah. to make yourself stand out because people are telling you you're different anyway
0: so you're like okay then so I'll you're like
3: yeah I want to be crazy different fuck fucking, you I'll double down on this <laughs> shit yeah exactly it's doubling down Canada, uh, Canada
0: I think is especially weird for that because um, the branding the national branding of Canada I feel is much weaker than um, like the united states mexico and i think that's actually a boon like i think the fact the reason that it's it's branding which is constantly shown as it's like oh well what is canadian cinema what is canadian this what does that mean oh moose cuisine we have no canadian cuisine Moose and fucking maple syrups and whatever like they always make these jokes i think it's actually a, a credit to the to the nation because it is young enough and far enough from the the core world right the core the center the beginning the heart of it all that it never fully formed this fierce nationalist identity like most nations it Mm -hmm. never warred with its colonial parents right it never told dad to fuck off it just one point went over and said hey dad can i can i get my own place and dad was like yeah sure like that was like us repatriating the 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 constitution to canada right Mm -hmm. there was never like a bloody fight for the uh, for independence so canada sort of benefited from this very calm i think it's partially also the reason why canadians are polite or there's that whole perception of politeness and sort of calm versus rock and roll americans and you know sensational americans um but what I think that adds to what you're saying that's interesting is that what you'll get is you'll get these second generation or first generation immigrants from very, very defined cultures, ancient cultures. I mean, China being one of the mo- most ancient, Indian, Middle Eastern, whatever. You come from these cultures where like, y- you can like set it down on paper what it is to be Moroccan, what it is to be Algerian, what it is to be uh, Sudanese. And then you come into a culture that's never really formalized. Uh, a, a Canadian way of living and a Canadian culture. So, like you said, you're other, but no one can really tell you how to be one of the homegrown people anyway, because yeah. they they've never really thought of life that way. They were just Canadians, yeah. Right. So it's a it's a mind fuck.
3: Yeah. No, and I think it's it's that sort of anxiety that you get from being stuck between those two worlds mm-hmm. that that causes a polarization in a lot of you know disenchanted youth or. You know people that feel disenfranchised can be
0: taken advantage of yeah, was yeah that, uh, uh, wasn't it uh, our friend uh amal was saying oh she's that totally extremist <laughs> yes of course <laughs> that's why she's always she's always traveling it's very suspicious uh <laughs> egypt uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> but she was saying that friends of hers uh, had moved here or to the united states uh, from the middle east and one of their kids almost got radicalized, and uh, oh really yeah. I, didn't, I didn't hear about this like they ba- they barely extracted him. he was like getting ready to he had grown out the beer the whole bit, mm-hmm. and he was starting to talk the funny talk, and the parents were like, "What the fuck we got out of the Middle East so we didn't have to deal with this shit right. and he got radicalized here like twice as fast as he would have back home, like what's going on like how
1: any any kids uh gonna look for their for their roots. We're gonna romanticize that, you know, they're looking for identity. That's exactly what you do in your pubescent years, right? Like right. you look for who am I? What am I? <laughs> and, uh, yeah. You feel lost. You yeah. know, all these uh, older traditions seem mystical and somehow valid, more right. valid than what you see in your day to day. So
0: Yeah, these are your secret the prophecy years, right? Where you're just like guys, I read this book. You got to hear about this, (laughs) You got to hear about this, man. It unlocks everything. You're like, "Uh uh-huh, yeah,
3: okay. Yeah, maybe it's a fact that high schools have to choose better books to teach, right? Because, like, Catching the Rye is a very specific experience. And, I mean, it resonated with me to a degree, but... Like it should not, I'm not, not a be rich read. white kid yeah. growing up in you know the you know, whatever the hell it was in uh, uh, you know the suburbs of New York. I don't right. have that experience.
0: And Huckleberry Finn too. I mean, great novel, great book, but yeah, very strange.
3: Yeah, I think maybe mm. it, one thing that would help is better contemporary young young adult reading. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and yeah. especially
0: since America itself uh, and in Canada has like a really rich. Uh, repository of like new colonial writing like exciting new thoughts like people who actually took the colonial experience to the next level and challenged all these old world ideas and really did uh think of the americas as like a a chance to start over you know and Mm -hmm. break some of these these oppressive insane ways of living that that it existed you know yeah and i think that but but that's that's
3: also a different experience i feel like if you came if you live that history and you come to a place and you're bringing that with you and you know that you know, you have a point of reference so you can decide to have a break with it or integrate it somehow but if you're born here and you have parents like in my case I have parents that came from a place like that and then I'm faced growing up and daily with another uh, option another you know uh, environment being at school or with my friends that are you know hanging out at the mall i mean it's really difficult to navigate that as somebody growing up because yeah. you don't know what what how to behave right it just breaks down to that you know it's it yeah, very, very, well you know? very well put the yeah. grass
1: is greener on the other side thing right like you if you live back in the old country under oppression and you want to to move to north america for a new life and then you're like you grow up as second generation in in like the new world and then romanticize what the it was old. like back you know yeah, yeah. Where, where things were pure
0: yeah and the yeah. the you know like there's one extreme which is the um which is the kid that kind of becomes uh, like a, a recon uh, like a fictional Asian gang kid or a like Arabic like badass Lebanese kid or Italian mafioso type kid. Like, wh- he either becomes one of these ghettoized, uh, in second generation kids, but it's also very
3: stereotypical. Like right. you, you take those stereotypes and you re- relive them yeah. like, to an extreme. Because like, I'm gonna be fucking Scarface. Yeah, it's and, like, like movie. Okay, it's or, literally you know? yeah, yeah, it's like, yeah. like
0: Montreal a perfect example for this. Uh, in yeah. the '90s, it was the worst. Like when that movie Blood in Blood Out came out. I don't know if you're familiar with this what film. Is this? Blood in Blood Out was like the first real epic, uh, like family drama, crime drama about the uh, uh, East Los Angeles, like like uh, Latino gangs okay right it was like the first time somebody gave it like a real it's a it's a great film and it's like also the
3: blood and crips type of thing it's
0: a blood it's like uh it's Bloods. all about just the latino gangs and in fact it's about this half latino guy who's like white with blue eyes but he is latino to the core and he has to con- he's constantly the outsider even though he's a chicano like from head to toe right mm-hmm. when this movie hit it was a sensation in terms of like culturally you know just the same way as boys uh, uh, boys in the hood was mm-hmm. it did that same thing for latinos and suddenly like overnight every latino kid in my high school was buttoning only one shirt and and was like acting like they were in prison in fucking At the in top button of the shirt yeah and like right. gang signing like the finger gang signing stuff and they're wearing bandanas and they're starting to talk funny and like Mont- Montreal specifically is like very much a movie imitation town, right? Yeah. Like people just imitate stuff because we're just getting all this American content uh, thrown at us and the rest of the country isn't really like doing anything in terms of uh, loud enough to offset that, right? Mm-hmm. But I was going to say that the the sad other extreme of a kid who kind of invents this fiction, the kind that kind of irritates me maybe just as much is... Uh, the, the 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 gian gomeshi we're talking like the prior prior to his uh, whole sex scandal we're talking like the beloved gomeshi radio host from the queue right who used to irritate the living fuck out of me whenever i'd see him or hear him on tv be <laughs> like we're canadians we love our hockey we love our beer like you know he's trying to be more yeah. canadian than canadian
3: but that's the cbc i think that's the mandate of the cbc you know, it's right. it's to promote what they defines Canadianness. It's just, you know, but you I end think- up with
0: this like this guy who's like uh, he's bringing it harder than someone who's actually from here, <laughs> and he's kind of like you know he's got his little flags and. Uh, you know boot to boot and whatever like dude shut the it fuck up put on you're from you're from Kurdistan shut the fuck up <laughs> like maybe not first generation but don't 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 try to sell me on your like
1: it feels like a uh, like a
0: shtick it's a shtick it's a, still a shtick it's i still feel like fiction. that's
3: everybody in toronto yeah, a lot of the lot of in Toronto.
1: There's a lot of that in Toronto. <laughs> yeah. Though. There's a lot
3: it's, of that. It's, it's the chicken
1: and chicken or the egg thing.
3: Yeah, no, it's it's so hard to tell, you know. It's But like, I don't have I don't, everybody's answer. watching the Blue Jays. Like who the fuck gives a care gives a shit about baseball? <laughs> Seriously. Like it's it's a thing? Like Nobody Nobody cares nobody about baseball. Nobody gives a shit about baseball, <laughs>
0: but there's just nothing else to do. I mean, why is it that Toronto has the worst hockey team in the universe? but you can't get tickets to a, to a, a Leafs game, right? Yeah, It's because I agree. people just, I don't know, it, it doesn't factor in. Anyway, <laughs> we're getting kind of off topic here, but I guess what I'm saying is like, yeah, I think uh, filmmaking, neuroscience, fiction, I think all these things are sort of converging now <laughs> in this conversation <laughs> because we're looking at the behaviors, we're looking at psychology, and we're looking at fiction and how these mm. the interplay. This is something we, Richard and I revisit very often because it keeps coming back. Now, if you're playing the movie on a
1: telephone, you will never in a trillion years experience the film. You'll think you have experienced it, but you'll be cheated. It's such a sadness that you think you've seen a film on your fucking telephone. Get real
0: have you ever dabbled in the fiction uh filmmaking
3: yeah i think i've tried and i think it's it's i have respect for people that do it um thank you and i mean by by, <laughs> by fiction is like the script writing aspect of it in particular because i've i mean for the life of me i've had a really hard time um writing dialogue for people and i never took a class in it maybe that's it i'm not really a a writer in that sense and um, like where maybe do you I have mild autism <laughs> okay Asperger's I don't understand people enough to like write words for them
0: okay um, it doesn't feel natural when you do it
3: no I mean I feel like I in the way that I direct things and and, and documentaries is, is a good example of this you set up situations and let people act truthfully or t- to their nature and maybe it's just a matter of not having ever had a budget to work with you know great enough actors or whatever to that they embody their roles in a more complete sense but um... you know I most of my fictional work that I've done in the past is very situational, situational based
0: okay can you give us an
3: example um... it's it's like theater it's like theater where the, there's a there's a loose script there's there's points and there's there's uh, story points but you know, that you really trust the people you're working with to play that out and to okay. act it out and to work it out as a, as a, almost like a workshopping technique. And, um, you know, it's, it's interesting now because I'm actually getting into a lot of VR uh, and 360 video, and we're trying to use that as a narrative format where you, as a director, um, you can't actually be in the room. Right. So you can't watch it happen as it plays out in a complete sense so the approach is very different now so what we do is it's actually better for my style of directing in the sense that you're working with people you're giving them a you know you trust the people that you're working with and you're you know you let them interpret it and I feel like that's a more organic way to do these uh um this great fictional content because part partly because it masks my inability to write dialogue
0: as far as you as far as you, you, t- you can tell?
3: As far as I can tell, but I mean, who knows? Okay. Like, but I feel like a lot of great directors who collaborate with their actors in that sense do this.
0: I know, you know, I've had this conversation before, and this is something that I think is, I'd really like to challenge you on if I can, um, because I remember uh, the, the documentary versus fiction conversation in, in film school, and it's sort of a conversation that keeps going even afterwards. And, and you know, there's the doc people, there's the fiction people... And then they tend to behave like they're doing very different things. But I see a lot of similarities in the two. C- certainly, yes, you do set up cameras in front of people and kind of let them say what's really on their mind. And you, you kind of put it all together into some sort of format afterwards, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but in fiction, I mean, uh, I think that there's a misunderstanding in the way that it's written. That it's not really, you're not just grabbing things out of the air, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, what you 're doing is just you're grab you 're trying to simulate real conversations uh, but that are optimized to lead you towards a certain story point or a, s- a certain event that will play out either a human drama or some sort of social uh, a human situation so that you can present your opinion on that right like the way for instance uh, I don't know, I'm trying to think of a movie now like, that was really pointing in that way. Okay. Um,
3: Grizzly Man? Grizzly <laughs> <laughs> Man? I mean, that's the kind of film that I really enjoy. Okay. Is where, you know, there's a... Uh, there's a it's not a very clear distinction, what's real and what's not. And I and, and This is the
0: guy that, that lived with the uh, bears?
3: Yeah, this is the guy that... No, this is the... Uh, shit. I can't think of his name right now. Uh, this is guy,
0: he went to live with bears, right? And like he tried to...
3: Yeah, and, and the director, German director, fuck, what's his name? He's super famous.
0: It's not Werner Herzog. Werner Herzog,
3: yes, it's Werner Herzog. Werner Herzog, he does an amazing job of this because he's, he's such an amazing storyteller. And I think what's interesting as a storyteller for him is that he does navigate truth and fiction... And he presents the fact, you know, he's very transparent about the fact that it's his version of the truth.
0: It's a meditation. It's know.
3: a meditation of what a truth is. It's a facet of the truth. I mean, in the sense that, I mean, we can get it all philosophical about this, but what is true? What is true is what you see, and how you perceive it. And I think the job of uh, whether you're a documentary filmmaker or a scripted filmmaker, you're always trying to present that side of things, your view of the world, mm-hmm. review of the story, and. Um, you know, as a d- director, you have a lot of tools to do that. One is with the script, one is with the actors, or with just camera work. You know, Terrence Malick and his work is, is, is very visual, right? It's visually driven and action driven, but it tells a, a very particular story. And it's, you know, f- I don't think it's a very black and white. It's either fiction or f- uh, fiction or documentary. I think it's always going to be a mix between the two. It's almost and, in between, yeah. And that's, that's what I mean when you're working with the right people is to find the right people for that instance who can express that true element in a particular situation
0: right well yeah. we've we just recently seen and I, I can't summon the title right now but we just seen that i think recently uh the release of the first uh first person movie uh this is action movie i think it's called hardcore or something like that and it's uh, it's an action movie that completely from the first person point of view um and so i guess i'm curious because i've speculated on what 360 video How that works, and like, I guess, can you give us an idea of what a project looks like, and how do you execute something like that?
3: Um, I mean, it's it's something that's being worked out as we speak. People are—it's a new medium, and I think what was really interesting and actually a motivating factor for for me to get into this this type of uh, filmmaking is that it's it's language is yet to be defined, you know, in, in the sense that. In film, you have a very particular aesthetic. There's a lot of rules that have been built on it. Because of the tradition, uh, not only of people making these things, but people reading into these things, we we understand the language of film. As a consumer, we can we know what a particular type of edit, a particular type of cut means. Uh, for 360, I think those rules have completely been um, changed. So for us, it's a very uh, potent period of uh, experimentation.
0: Yeah. Which cinema always comes back to eventually with yeah. new technologies. There's always a yeah. back to the science and the mechanics of it, yeah. and then somebody does makes a story out of it afterwards, right? Uses it as a storytelling tool. Yeah. Um, uh, I don't know if you've seen these. There's these YouTube videos now where uh, I just I just saw this like the other day. So what people are doing is playing. They're playing video game movies. So what they'll do is they'll hire an actor and set up a scene. They just did this with the Hitman franchise. I don't know if it's it's the company or it's just a bunch of independents. And what you have is you're looking at this video and there's a Hitman killer with the barcode on the back of his head and he's got the suit and the gun. And it's a real guy in front of a real villa and you give him orders, you direct him to go as if you were controlling him with the controller but you're directing an actor to go in there and to take out the guards in, this, in the order that you want and it's sort of communicating to him what your order, like it's very next level that, shit, yeah. right?
3: See, I haven't seen that, but I find that to be very interesting because I feel um, that the interactive aspects of, of and embodied aspects of video games is in, informing the practices of how to make VR films and, uh, and, and in these immersive environments. Mm-hmm. And it's a natural thing. And I think... It's it's also teaching us, informing us how to read these images, right? And when you mentioned this the situation where people are actually uh, telling the actors what to do, kind of like a choose your own adventure type of situation, right, much, yeah. it's it's interesting for me because that makes me think of the notion of uh, authority and power in in image, right? So we're talking about a film. You're you're kind of forced to sit in a dark room and watch this film, and you're it's it's a very one-sided sort of affair. You're being told what to think. What to do? You're given information. It's only one way. Right. Whereas I think the the interesting aspect of three D video, uh, I'm sorry, uh, virtual reality and three sixty video is that as a viewer you're given a lot more well quote unquote freedom. You're still presented with a lot of information, but you can choose to look at one thing versus another. And I think you know as a filmmaker that makes things very complicated because you don't necessarily have that control over what people are looking at so you can't it's it becomes very you have to get really creative in how you direct content yeah
0: like the 180 direct storyline. 180 degree rule the 180 degree rule like it doesn't work anymore like
3: well in a way it does like that's the thing that people are discovering like yeah you know people were making films where things were happening behind your head but and you're watching this on goggles or on your phone or whatever how often how easy is it for you to physically turn around it's not going to happen very often. Right. So, you know, these are kind of rules that are coming out more and more as people are trying to figure this out. And it's a very, like I said, it's really fascinating and interesting because it's a very engaging environment to be in as a filmmaker and in, especially with a community of people that are trying to figure this out right now um, to to decide what makes a great fiction. How much of it do we want,
1: right? It, yeah, it, it, we were talking about that with uh, Eric Porosky. Right. Like he he's a level designer for Ubisoft and he was saying like how you guide mm-hmm. the person's attention with like sort of subtle cues and lighting and whatnot. Yeah. And that there are people who are trying to figure out this three sixty thing on the gaming side and on the filmmaking side because what happens when you no longer have the ability to direct somebody's attention in a particular place? That's gonna bring the story to the next
3: point right? right like what
1: if they're looking in the other, other direction you give the the, the viewer that that control to, to be the center of that of that circle they could be looking the other way like in then, video
0: games sometimes when you get lost right right yeah. And yeah. that's like what uh, he
1: was saying like in in
0: but that in, can be a
3: pleasurable experience as well i mean and that's the yeah. thing it's also mm-hmm. a very rich environment and you know when you when you talk about this and video games and my my next thought is of um sleep no more which is a theatrical performance um, that's put on. I think it's by a British company, and they they take over this uh, building in uh, in New York, and it's a real time uh, theatrical experience. Meaning that as a, you know, as a as a viewer, you get to participate in what's happening in the theater. It's not you're not forced to sit down. You can go anywhere in the building, and things are happening simultaneously. It's that like have live to action role playing. It's live action yeah. role playing, and mm-hmm. I feel like. That's a very interesting experience, and I think like um, experiences like that can inform the way that we do uh, VR films. Um, that said, I think what it boils down to is that films in the past are t- uh, traditional films, let's call them traditional films, are time-based. Meaning that narrative is driven by passage of time or a sequence of events. Right. Whereas now the type of video and film that we're doing with uh, 360 video and VR um, is more space space, meaning that it's architectural. Right. We're talking about developing structures and systems of locations. Right. And this is something that I was really interested in as uh, as in fine arts because I was building uh, uh, installations, sometimes sometimes interactive, but building video installations and the idea was to do this is is exactly this is to have a story that takes place simultaneously so in time it's real time but it happens in multiple places at the same time so for somebody to experience it to f- to read it the full story you know every time you navigate this it's going to be some, something slightly different mm-hmm. because you're, you, what you pick up on is different
0: it has re- replayability it's all
3: about easter yeah. eggs
0: you know, and I right. think
3: that's that's it's that's how gaming it's informed by gaming. Like that's why people keep keep going back to play Mario, right? You go. You, I went to a Super NES night just the other day, and I was like I love these games because you can play through it multiple times and find out new things every time, like that secret level or that I didn't get that you know magic mushroom you know type of situation. Right. And uh, I think you know they in in once again relating to video games we can learn how there's different types of video games there's an the open world concept where you can explore so I think I that know. becomes a subgenre mm-hmm. to like more direct and narrative video games which are more story driven and I think with regards to 360 film once the technology catches up we'll be able to make those experiences and have those subgenres yep. available to us right now I mean the, t- the kind of cameras that we're working with uh, we're very limited in what we can do So, you know, the other day, like recently we've, we've been wrestling with the fact that our cameras overheat after 10 hours or sorry, not 10 hours, 10 minutes. So we can't actually have shots that last more than 10 minutes, which is, you know, a creative constraint is a technical constraint on what we can do creatively. Um, So, you know, these are things that, you know, for, uh, for a gearhead like myself is, is interesting you know, we kind of want to over- figure out how to overcome this, both creatively and technically. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, you know, we're we we've been doing some really exciting stuff with music, um, redefining how we present uh, um, concerts and musical experiences. Is there,
0: some of this stuff is uh, is out is published? Um,
3: no, actually, uh, we've we've been shooting a lot in the last two months. Um, and hopefully we'll we'll have our website up soon. You know, we. It's funny because like it's re- I've noticed like it's really picked up steam since uh, since the new year. The you 360 know, stuff. The 360 stuff. Like every, there's like a demand for it. You mean? There's a huge demand for it. Okay. And I think what's amazing is that that demand is only, you know f- driven primarily by people in the know. There's tons of people that are who's constantly getting their minds blown when they see this stuff. And it's it's you know that moment is magical in its own way.
0: And it, how is it being demanded? Like for what for what purposes? Like who's who's asking for it? Like companies or?
3: Uh, um, I mean, like I said, I do I do a lot of work with uh, with uh, around the music music right. industry. Okay. So a lot of uh, people are trying to promote, you know, their shows or their concerts. Okay,
1: or, so for con- for live live events. Which kind of makes sense.
3: Some like live you, events, you, you, yeah. You'd
1: want to reproduce like the live experience, right? I
3: yeah. suppose. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of technical <laughs> difficulties yes. with this, so people, it's it's time prohibitive right now. Mm-hmm. But um, are you doing
0: drones as well, like drones and 360? We're
3: trying to. We're that's the next step. We're going to do. A, we're hoping to do a mini documentary using 360 drones in uh, at the end of the month.
0: Just uh, don't do it in uh, in uh, is it Holland? <laughs> is that
3: with the with the drones with the sh- the police drones that shoot the nets? The the no oh, no, yeah, that's, that
0: no of, the right. eagles they have the eagles. Oh yeah, the, the drone, uh, killing they have drone, <laughs> drone killing eagles. drone But yes, I did see the bazooka they just yeah. put on the market. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. As, uh, which is awesome. Yeah,
1: uh, I actually had a a question. This is actually a listener question. I was talking to one of our listeners. Um, shout out to Evelyn. Um, about 360 video. And I'm not sure if everybody really understands exactly what 360 video is, but um, essentially the viewer ends up being like the center of the circle, right? Where they can change their view within that 360 degree.
3: Depth. Yeah, and I think, I think what helps in explaining what it is is uh, that, you know, you, we explain technically how you film this. is it's, it's basically a camera ball. Right, all these cameras are pointing outwards, so we're recording multiple with multiple cameras at the same time. And what we do is in, in post production is we bring all these images together and we stitch it. So, what you end up with is this large, uh, you know, panorama image that's been glued together. And what we what happens now in, in platform three, uh, 360 platforms such as you know, VR goggles or uh, YouTube or now even Facebook is that they take that image and they wrap it and you know imagine imagine you're getting a screen wrapped around you it's like a dome experience so this way that you know if you're looking directly in front of you there's an image but you can also turn and there's another image you can look behind you there's another image so you know what's really cool is that right now these things are available to you uh, on on mobile devices because we can track the position of your phone we, what ends up happening is that you can either with either Google Cardboard, you can put your phone up into a Google, you know, cardboard glasses, VR goggles, and you can look around. Uh, or you can just hold it up in your hand, and it becomes like a window to this, you know, invisible world. And I, th- I personally think the that's that's a huge step forward. It's, it's The huge. distribution of it and the accessibility of We're this. We're trying is, to
0: create a door to climb into the Internet.
3: Yeah. But, I mean, I think, you know, as, as, as invested as I am in, in 360 video, I think the next step, the very interesting next step, is going to be AR, which is um, uh, augmented reality. And we're starting to see um, uh, technologies produced by like, Microsoft where we have kind of like the Google Glass situation. Where you're, you're seeing through the glasses, so you're seeing the real world, but then things are being superimposed on that real world.
0: It has to be the next step. It has to be because uh, VR is a very limited experience in the sense that there's a threshold for how much a human being can endure outside of its natural habitat, right? It's the yeah. reason why 3D... Takes a toll on you, even if you love it. After a while, you just you have to disconnect. It's yep. the reason why if you play too much uh, Grand Theft Auto, you go outside and it sort of starts overlapping on the real world.
3: You well, know, I mean, I think I think
0: AR makes sense.
3: I think I think AR is a is an ethical. I'm going to say this. It's an ethical choice between those those two uh, those ethical. two okay. technologies. Explain meaning that. meaning that you're you're not ignoring the real world while Hmm. investing yourself or participating in either a shared reality or a a telepresent uh situation environment like an artificial environment and i think you know i think as as people um who as humans who are are hungry for information all the time and hungry for interaction and hungry for stories and things like that i think that is an very interesting medium meaning that we we are still attached to things in the real world because i mean that's a great horrific situations when people become completely detached
0: well that's that's my next thought right is that Mm. i mean we we are already practicing a kind of augmented reality with our smartphones right yeah i completely agree we're already uh, you know using map to get to a friend's house as opposed to just counting down the address numbers and using our own you know we're kind of already doing it it's just not overlapped fully over our vision yet
3: and that's what i mean by ethical i mean i I think you know i i have my opinion about the phones thing is is that it's it's obviously a natural progression like it's natural in the sense that this technology is available we change our behaviors according to this technology and is that for the better i don't necessarily think so i think it's you know these technologies have actually a a tool but these these it's also had an effect on our social fabric, in the way that it's made people more distant from each other. Mm-hmm. You know, people have been more reliant on on online communications because it's it's responsibility free, yeah. right? And yeah. uh, like I, we we can get into uh, talking about online dating. We can talking about this this thing about ghosting, and we can talk about people like you know. Those, the superficial interactions that people have with people through, uh, you know, these online technologies, so social media, and people, um, you know, whatever, uh, bullying or even, you know, trolling online. I mean, these are all effects of being able to say things and do things online without any kind access of... access to each other. Unprecedented yeah. access to each other and also without consequence. Anonymity. anonymity. Yeah, anonymity. Uh,
0: well... One thing about AR, about augmented reality um, that um, immediately occurs to me is that, uh, you know, as a, as a society that pretty much has decided to follow technology as the marker of evolution, right, we tend to mark that as our, our, our rudder, right, it's our, it's our measuring stick for how why we even consider societies or countries with less technology to be inferior or developing or we call them whatever, right? Technology is our religion in a sense in the new world, right? That's kind of what we um, uh, mark ourselves by. But time and time again, I feel society has shown that the reason things keep coming back, right? The reason Richard and I like to um, play on Steam these like 8-bit, 16-bit type Mm -hmm. games and get a hell hell of a good time out of it as much as I would plugging into like the PS4 or whatever is because there is a constant renegotiation right we we don't exa- we're not actually advancing at the pace at, at a full steam pace as uh, technologically we could be much further if we wanted to be but humans always renegotiate with technology they invent they push they invent they innovate and then there's a there it sits for a while and then we decide if we like it or not and if 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 we want to live with this or not and sometimes we chuck it even though mm-hmm. it's the next step Right, so VR is not the first time we're really being presented with this idea, right? Virtual reality in the 90s, there was a huge flirtation Mm -hmm. with it. Why didn't we, right? Why didn't we immediately push further at that point? Well, because we decided sort of uh, uh, quietly to go, you know what, like this was fun, but we're not kind of interested in that right now. We want to go to some, like, we're a little bit. Like kids, we put things up, down, we pick them up, and I, I think, think that's very
3: complicated. I think it's not just about. I agree with you, but I think it's not the only factor. I mean, definitely not. It's no. you know, other technologies have to catch up to make this. You know, Google Glasses isn't catching, on, didn't catch on because it looks stupid. Mm-hmm. You I mean, one, I, yeah, no. You Anybody lo- wears like those stupid well, glasses? That, of course, and they're called invasive,
0: glass holes, right? They're called glass holes glass for a reason. Hole, okay. Yeah, but it wasn't just the look; like there was a bunch of privacy concerns that rose up. And yeah,
3: but that's another aspect of it. I think that's, that's, that's I a mean. sociological aspect of it, where people have to learn how to adjust their society that's and their exactly living. what I'm saying. Yeah. And the early the adopters were just
1: the worst. Yes, they all they were, the people who were, were wearing. Yeah. Google Glass were just like the worst. People. Yeah, because
3: they're the, they're the you know they don't give a, they're they're the honey badgers of yeah. technology. <laughs> yeah. They don't give a shit. <laughs> uh, I,
0: I, that's a, that's a term that's starting to get on my nerves too. The early adopters, just mm-hmm. like uh, it's kind of like that kid that shows up with the new shoes and the new hat, and he's lording it over. Like it feels like there's a conceit to it mm. that I don't like. Um, anyway, but before I get off topic here. A perfect example of what I'm saying uh, is um, I saw this video on The Verge, and they really, uh, they really condensed this into like a two-minute little presentation. And they're like, okay, look at something like the Star Trek communicator, right, where you're like you have your little badge, and you go bloop, and you're immediately in contact with the other person, right. It's effective and more efficient than phones in every other way. Like, technologically, it is far superior to We have that. But we have the technology to do it right now. In fact, we Jason, we've, come in. We've had it for some time. <laughs> so the question arises, why haven't we immediately gone to that place? Well, because nobody wants to be fucking called out of the blue and have to answer, and there'd be no waiting room for me to be able to ignore your call oh, if i would... feel like it
3: right see this is this, this is such potent ground for making these mockumentaries i love to think about like these situations like like could arise you know if like you you're taking no you're, going, to... you're going you're going you're going to the washroom and somebody's beeping you like does that person want to hear you flushing the toilet exactly you know things like that but
0: that, that's that's so funny but that's a negotiation <laughs> i'm talking about we have the technology but as people we've decided that it's unacceptable for us we don't want a technology that allows us to immediately be in touch with anybody at any time without a gatekeeper function right yeah but so i think i think that's conflict. that's
3: part of a evolutionary process i mean i think you know you, you can't have these em- em- enormous jumps in behavior because people have to be accustomed to it they have to you know you have to take baby
0: steps but we still don't know what the fuck we're doing on the internet but i mean right? it's like, kind
3: of like yeah i agree but it's because of the internet itself is sorry The internet itself is constantly changing, too. It's changing at a very fast rate. And people are not able to keep up with the technologies and how it's being used. And that's how Facebook happened. Facebook is trying to create its own internet, right? right? It's creating the system, which... You know, now the internet was this concept about you can get information about anything anywhere, and we're share free. You know, it's a free uh, kind of like a free market type of mentality. We can share information, run
0: free in the in the fields.
3: What we're seeing now is that people are actually visiting fewer and fewer websites. Like their their vision of the world is actually narrowing. Well, it's actually not narrowing. It's being hijacked. It's being hijacked, and on top of it, all of these new technologies, these search algorithms. Uh, Facebook's uh, algorithms for how to generate your news feed—it's been shown that they have what we call a confirmation bias, and this is problematic because it means that you're not showing new information that you're not uh, familiar with. Right, it keeps Meaning it in
0: house. Well, it keeps it in
3: house, but it means like if you know, say, for example, like for example if I'm a staunch uh, liberal, I'm going to get fewer items on my feed that contradict that meaning that I'm getting a very narrow view of echo the world echo chamber I, yeah, it's, yeah that's it you're only hearing stuff that confirms your own belief and they want that because it's an ad driven props process they want to narrow they want to put you in a confined space and say that you are this type of person so we can sell you this stuff right Right. I mean we all we have a friend who works for Facebook I've been this conversation with her all the time and you know i'm not gonna i'm not gonna name names here but uh <laughs> sounds like samal S- uh,
0: she uh that's too close bemal
3: bemal bemal <laughs> well you know what she gives me she gives me crap for saying her name wrong most of the time anyway love you Mel (laughs) yeah we love you (laughs) yeah Uh, but I think I think that phenomenon and it's not exclusive to Facebook I'm just picking on Facebook because it's easy it's a good example Google and and it's the idea of having choice but having at the same time no access to that choice or not knowing to access that choice how to access that choice content
1: in order to be sticky in order to keep you on their platform in order to serve you ads right
3: yeah I mean you're the SEO expert right yeah, exactly. I think it's, you know, that stickiness in, what, in, in information is, is very problematic because uh, we don't we learn know, anything. We're not so actually right. learning anything. Right. And, yeah. if we, if we, if and the problem is if we spend more time on the internet where we're not learning anything, we're not actually interacting with other people from whom we might actually learn something. I don't know. I mean, I'm somebody that. But let's face
0: it, even before the internet, uh, we were doing that anyway true right they were doing this this process of uh selective environments and you know little play pens um -hmm. were being done in an analog fashion before yeah that's why we have hippies yeah you could move (laughs) into the neighborhood where people you know grew their own whatever fucking clothes or whatever and 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 voted this way and, and whatever and then you could oh there's too many people speaking this language or or doing this type of thing oh i'm just gonna go over there uh, the way that, uh, like, uh, an Italian friend of mine told me how uh, any self respecting Italian that, that, that moves his family to another country, the first order of business is to find the most Italian sounding street name and immediately, usually like a Saint Michael or a Saint something, <laughs> and just, and that's how little Italy get, gets, little Italy's get made, right? Yeah. So we, we, we're kind of doing this to ourselves anyway. We'd like to hear stuff that confirms our views, right? I agree, we, I agree. We, if we hate the shit out of a movie, we're going to be much more drawn to other people bashing it, right, than uh, than somebody who's giving it a rave review. In fact, that aggravates aggravates us, right? Yeah, So this it,
1: curated content has, has become a thing. Yeah. A, a bit throwing back to our conversation with, with Danny multiple episodes ago yeah. about... People who actively search out music that they like, or people who listen to the radio and just listen to whatever's on. Yeah. It's the same thing if you're on a Facebook or Google Now is suggesting you articles to read. They're suggesting stuff to you based on the person that they think that you are. They've done an analysis of your personality as you are now, which is doesn't really help you to grow in any way. You, know, you need right. to actively search. You need to actively, in the same way that you would actively search for new music rather than listen to the radio right. in order to, to, to learn new things. If you're sure. the type of person, and there are a lot of them, who will just kind of passively uh, browse through content that's that's given to them they'll go with the,
0: they'll go with the flow right
1: right. Flow, right so the stuff that comes up on your newsfeed, based on your likes and based on your profile and demographic and whatever but that's always been the case though hasn't it has that always it. been the case but i agree with you completely john that that it, it it is it's a little bit scary that all this stuff is kind of being fed to people what's scarier is that there are so many people who are content with having content fed to them
3: you know what, Steve, like that's, that's
1: what bothers me the most. It yeah. doesn't, like the Facebook algorithm doesn't bother me. The personalization of Google doesn't bother me. The fact that people don't go out and actively seek new information, right. that's but the problem. Look
0: at the way that, and, I'm, and I want you to be able to get to your point here, but um, lo- look at the way that we interact with the internet. It's always to escape from what we're doing at that present time. So rarely, so rarely do we actually interact with it to do active research. And even when we do active research, we tend to get sidelined by some bullshit and get lost, go down the, the rabbit hole of YouTube or whatever it is, right?
1: Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say that's the way I use the internet, but I don't think that's... I think you're an exception. on the average, yeah. I
0: think you're an exception, right? I think most people, when they use the internet, it's during work, right? That's why they... As a distraction. As a distraction. They just want to sort of get their mind off of things. Uh, it's a good place to escape. It's like a TV that follows you everywhere and you can keep... Flipping the channels, and I'll do that sometimes, and we all do it, right? Yeah. So I think that has a lot to do with it as well. You just
1: got to do the other thing too.
0: Like I guess what I'm trying to say is, yes, I agree. It is in fact very nefarious and very dirty the way that certain corporations are uh, deliberately kind of caging us or giving us like uh, you know putting us in little mazes, little rat mazes. But but can you blame them? I mean, like what what Richard was
3: saying—that is that this is an element of human. Nature is this sort of, uh, I think, like Richard like was saying, a lot, lot of people just bask in comfort, yeah, right. Security.
1: You can't yeah. blame security them security. for catering to people how yeah. people want to use the internet. Yeah,
0: yeah. If mean, nobody participates, right? If everyone's like fuck Facebook, then it doesn't work. Right? Yeah,
3: right. I mean, these. Cor- I mean, the f- fundamentally, these corporations don't have people's interests in mind, right? I mean, it's, you know, I think they co- do. Well, I don't know. I mean, I, okay, I let, let, let's let's talk about this actually, because we were talking about how you know Google dictates people's worldviews and how people how it manages knowledge, right? I I, I, I I stayed up late one night and really fucked up my sleep sleep schedule this week by watching um, Google's new deep learning uh, uh, algorithm play Go, which is a more complicated game than chess oh, yeah. against a go master i
0: saw that and wait this is like an ai
3: yeah it's like an ai like a uh, was it a blue uh, no it's not deep blue it's not watson watson is but it's that type of it's 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 yeah it's like, that type of it's thing and it's really scary okay why it's really scary yeah.
1: it's scary because
3: because it's much smarter than humans i, I can already see this and it's, it's too it's late
1: playing with like intuition
3: it's, it, yeah, this is it, it what it's exhib- exhibiting is not like in the past. AI has been very directed. It's been very, it's called narrow AI, meaning in the sense they they've been designed to do specific tasks. Its function, yeah.
1: Right. So A what force something, for, force play or something? For,
3: uh something like that. But I mean, the they've hot. been like designed to. Uh, yeah. Hi, John Gomeshi. <laughs> 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 ah, oh, Real canini.
0: <laughs> we love our beer. We love punching our women in the
3: face. No. Uh, sorry. Let's go on a date. Pfft. Sorry, I okay. just. Uh, We're gonna cut I, this part. Uh, out. No not. No not. <laughs> hell no. Um, I will not let you curate this content. All right, fine. Sorry, go on. Free my voice. Uh, <laughs> but what's what's interesting about this particular uh, uh, AI is that it's been designed to do what's called general general AI. So it's, it, it's, it, it's been designed to learn anything after a certain amount of training, right? So, you know, after watching it play this game, actually, it's going to be a game of uh, five games. It's going to be a series, right. but it won the first game. It was, it was difficult. And the but
1: second one, too. I, I did saw they, that they, they play was the second, second one? one. I, thought, I, I thought I saw that, that there was a Could second be. game. Could be. I mean, it was one. a few
3: days ago when I fought, watched the first one. And, yeah. it, and it won the first one, but it was close, but against it's a legendary won. Go master, yeah, like right? like the second or third best Go master in the world, and the problem is that this is something that's new for it. And if it can beat the best, if the human, and it's new for him, mm. we, we don't stand a chance. Yeah, like the guy that the the guy that invented this, um, that's the team leader and director or CEO or whatever of the company that developed deep learning, um, the deep learning algorithm. Uh, they he did a presentation. I watched it just today on on the YouTube. He did a presentation and talked about how they trained. They sh- they showed this algorithm basically. Uh, I mean they, they they personified it, but you know they kind of presented it with all the Atari games, the right. old Atari games, oh, yeah. and they let it play these Atari games and what was um, really scary was like oh yeah the first couple of times like it didn't know what to do it just kind of like it lost it kind of didn't figure it out but it's like a child right it doesn't have any information about the system but it it showed it after it played 300 games and after 500 games and by the fifth 500th game like no human can play like that you can see it right away as a person that plays video games Hmm. you know if we've already lost the war yeah Right, like I, people call me a trader because I'm like, yeah, no way, I'm signing with the robots. I'm buying myself a drone. I'm gonna sign up. I'm gonna, you know, friend on Facebook and everything. Right. It's too late, you know. And like, I don't know if you guys also saw the other video with Boston Robotics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which ahem, is all, also owned by Google. Yeah. Okay, Sk- Skynet. Yes. Yeah.
0: yeah. I watched the, the the most recent version of it is the uh, the hockey stick one. Well, they yeah, the first, yeah. First, they had the one where they pretended that they're making fun of the robot, right? Somebody dubbed over it, and it sounds like the developers are mocking it. Yeah, and it's being really nice and kind. And then at the end, it says something creepy, like "See, you, I'll what, I'll see you for dinner" or something else.
1: No, it the whole thing was like, "I love box, I love <laughs> box," and the guy's taking the box away from him, and <laughs> then like, he takes it away like enough times, and he's like, "Kevin loves family." I love box. Kevin loves family, Kevin's and then he's family. walking out. Like, right. He's gonna take out his family.
0: And the last <laughs> version we watched oh today was the, where they now they have the robot just like swearing as it gets shoved. Right? Like, what the fuck, dude? He's <laughs> <I'm just laughs> trying to pick up this box. What are you
3: doing? Oh my god! Why am I working? Oh, this, this box is so heavy. <laughs> like, it's just
0: it's a swear. No, form.
3: no. I, I swear to God, it's only a ma- It's gonna happen in our lifetimes where we're gonna have a singularity event, and the robots are gonna decide. That the problem is humans. Yeah. Like it's it's and you know what Arnold Schwarzenegger is going to be too old to help us. It's too late. Well, he
0: can come back yeah. in time. I don't know if that yeah, makes sense. I don't know, man. But here's the thing. I mean, are you are you? I mean, I, we're we're kidding here. But are you, is that really a concern? Do you really are you really concerned about robot takeover?
3: I mean, I'm being a little. I'm exaggerating a little bit, but I'm I am. It is something that I'm co- I'm constantly thinking about. Uh, is how are we going to co adapt? Co-evolve right. in the situation, and I, you know, I, I, I It's an outlier, but I. It's not something that I'm like writing off as a possibility. Sure. Is the human extinction because robots rise up and kill us? Well, because I actually think that could happen. I think
0: that part. Mm. I always thought that part was very arrogant of us to assume once again no. that if a higher AI is form, here, it's too late. No, no, no. What I'm saying, <laughs> it's, I always thought it was very. <laughs> Uh, Very arrogant, uh, typically arrogant human thinking that if a form rises above us, something evolves beyond us, they would immediately consider us its greatest threat. I Honestly, I'm of the school of thought that if they do detach themselves from humanity, they will simply not be concerned with us.
3: No, I I disagree with that. They will forget us. I don't think they'll eradicate us. But I mean if you look at why would they for what purpose? No, yeah, they, they, need would, us. they would need us for the batteries
1: for a while <laughs> because because we're destroying the environment.
0: But they well, don't I, don't, need, I don't they don't need the yeah, environment. Yeah. They don't need oxygen, right? They don't need a bunch of the I think we're like,
3: getting a little ridiculous. They here.
0: don't need no, no, think <laughs> about it. They don't need our food, our house. They don't need women, they don't need like any of these, you know, children, territory. They need for,
3: IT guys.
0: They need they need <laughs> a bunch of IT guys. Ca- India is going to go first. Oh, <laughs> but we yeah. could be a threat.
3: In what way? No, no, no. It's going to be... be uh, Listen, I mean, I run this scenario
0: in my head, honestly. And the AI, and they start really evolving as a separate species and a separate entity... They will shoot themselves into space so fast because b- within six <laughs> months their concerns will not be our Fuck concerns.
2: Yeah.
0: Right? We're all like, oh, they're gonna start getting jealous. Jealousy? No, 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 no. They'll be they'll be calculating infinity by that point and shooting out into space. So this and, is
3: Battlestar Galactica. Is what's happening. Yeah. The
0: robots are just gonna take off. They're just gonna leave. no. Fucking no I disagree. Here. Take I one look at Kanye
3: and, it'll be super and Kim Kardashian, be listen. Like, I'm, I'm, Fuck I'm, this. Take, I'm I'm gonna going take I'm gonna take the space. I'm going to take the, the, the side of... I'm going to become a biologist now. Okay. And I'm going to say, like, listen, this is what we call a, a symbiotic process, a symbiotic relationship. And the evolution of the human species is going to co-evolve with robots in that sense. And I mean, think about it. That's, it's kind of hap- It's already the case. We're always plugging into Facebook. We're checking in with Google. I mean, You're talking about c- cyber
0: cybernetics
3: uh, it, uh, i did graduate from a program called intermediate cyber Arts, Cyber. Uh, but i think so we're already it there a, it wasn't just a cool name no i i mean <laughs> i i you know it's come about roundabout way but i think uh we are already there in this that sense. i believe
0: the cybernetic like, stuff yeah the melding the melding of the two when are you
3: without your phone how often are you without your phone i mean and how much information do you get from your phone right. it's not just a, it's no longer just a communication tool between humans right we're we're interfacing with another intelligence which is yeah. and google which tells us what things are you know how crazy is that i mean if you know if you study uh you know uh cognitive science like it's about how do you identify things right If one day google if you know as if we're learning about stuff and we t- type in green apple into google and google starts showing us red apples Right, red apples will become green apples in a, in this sense. Like that knowledge transfer will eventually take over in a.
0: That depends. If if Kanye signs off on it, maybe maybe we'll accept <laughs> yeah. it. But Otherwise, well, we're gonna we are expecting uh, um, to have someone from Google on actually uh, pretty soon. So it'll be interesting to feed some of these questions to him and see. But how that's how much my point. Political it's like rhetoric he's gonna give us and how much truth well e- he i, even I don't know nails. i like I'm,
3: I'm obviously being a little sensational in, in the way i'm talking about it right but like a film my point it. is but my point is that these things are constantly being reinforced and happening organically in a way right like new technologies are coming up we talked about vr we talked about internet i mean these things are being presented to us and as humans we learn how to adapt in accordance to this and how to behave alongside this like there's never a clear rejection of something like we incorporate it into ourselves, we we're tool users and
1: right? reject as well. We yeah, reject. We take. Is not miss- it the same thing with film? Like, you know, does film reflect reality or is reality- vice versa? Yeah. Right. But we
3: talked about that in in a, earlier on and how our conceptions of how images and and uh, is a myth building process and how that affects the way we see the world and how that causes in you know radicalism in my case. <laughs> but you know, like I think these things have a very. It's a very you know as somebody as a, a study of human nature i think it's a very interesting uh weaving of all these environmental factors and how it becomes a yeah. uh, living process and well, the, i think the problem is that in the past we've seen humans as the end product of that living process because this is where i get a little new agey but i think like yeah we can actually you you know they're not killer robots we become the killer robots and the killer robots become us and mm. you know that i think certainly that's sense. kind of what's happening right yeah, already I mean, in a way. There's yeah. also that very
0: the process. The, exactly. It'll there's be just sick no looking. place
3: for zombies. Fuck the zombies. I hate zombies.
0: Yeah, zombies suck. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's also that very popular theory in art, you know, with the visual arts especially, that every time a new technological um, innovation really takes right, not just like it gets developed, but it actually takes, it frees the previous movement from being concerned with reality and representing reality, and it can then start to go in and explore you know just the same way that you know painting went into impressionism and all those other things once photography came along once cinema came along photography yeah leapt into um the abstract realm so maybe that's going to happen with 360 right maybe full immersion is going to free standard 2d uh, 3d like passive filmmaking from being concerned with reality and and maybe that's going to become a thing or perhaps the new thing is going to become the exploration tool and you know we don't know but I feel like there is a limit to the cinema experience I think once you break it too much it does break
3: yeah and I think that's it it's it's uh, like these new technologies create contrasts and they create juxt- juxtapositions and you know it really you know only in a contrast can you define something right that's once there. there's another reference right there's another part, yeah. you can use it as a reference to define what that is right like when video came out it suddenly defined what film was right right and so people use film for a different purpose than they use video and you know you you define these domains that you can create in, and it's it becomes liberating you it know does. you you can suddenly choose and figure out what to do with it mm-hmm. and i th- you know it's strangely enough i think that that's been a a thread in our entire conversation is that you know in a situation where you don't know what that choice is things become very difficult and uh bringing technology into it like i think right now is an interesting time for you know i don't i haven't i didn't you know i didn't live through world war Two, so i don't know but i think like this is a very interesting time to be living in because we are presented with a lot of choices and a lot of choices meaning that we can uh we can explore those choices in, in a very interesting way
0: we can also re revisit everything that's happened in the last Definitely, a couple of centuries. It recontextualizes everything completely. Like it's almost like revisiting every meal you've had in your entire life, and really getting in like sitting down with that roast beef you had like when you were twelve, and deciding like, is it was it was it really the best fucking meal ever, or was I no, it had no, it wasn't actually that great, or or actually I never noticed that. Half of the stuff on that plate was was artificial processed crap. Or, or man, we don't we've lost. You know, like we've got to re we really get to reevaluate all these things, and live with our history real time, which I think is a new thing.
3: And I think I think moving forward, that's that's the key um, attribute that people need to value. And I think that is is like curiosity and the uh, you know more so than ever. It's the the idea of thinking about things critically and exploring mm-hmm. things. And that's what drives me in lear- and doing documentary films.
0: Yeah, I can see the neuroscience sort of. Yeah, but it's also like sort of you know, with well.
3: films and the, my creative thing is like, I'm You're not I'm not investigating things I already know about. I'm always right. using this as a learning, uh, self exploring, uh, self evaluating process. Okay. Right. I mean, like I said, the punk documentary that I'm working on. I okay. know nothing about punk. Well, this is. And what I f-
0: wanted to ask you about actually, if you don't mind me cutting you off just sure. for a second here, uh, to kind of round this out here. Um, can you tell us about this project or something that you're working on and, and what it's going to look like and where it's headed and to give us an idea of what it would be like to like, what's a John Yu project now that incorporates all these things? What are you pursuing?
3: Um, well, I, I don't know if this, this, this is a good project for that because it's, it was very a haphazard journey. And I think the, Moroccan punk, the thing? Moroccan punk thing, mm-hmm. and I think it's really interesting like that. And it's not, near being done and you know it's one of those it's as much fun doing it for me than actually producing something Sure. Um, but uh, you know how I got into this project was I was invited to you know I was invited by a friend who was a graffiti mural muralist and she was going to do uh, some work in Morocco she invited me to come along to film and I obviously agreed and while there, we met up with this uh, her friends and some small community of other musicians. who have started a small punk scene, and that was very interesting to me because it seemed like a very uh, uh, a very contrasty thing yeah. to yeah, see. Yeah, punk in that is actually
0: very much alive in the Middle East right now. Yeah,
3: and I think this was also a few years ago when the Arab Spring was happening. So mm-hmm. there's a there's obviously a political element to it, but you know, I think what made it an interesting story that i want to pursue was the fact that there's a history of uh, subversive cultural movements such as punk in various contexts like whether whether it's in uh you know in uh in britain or in the 70s or in california in the 80s you know punk as a movement whether it's you know musically inclined or politically inclined has always been an outlet for uh disenchanted youth or disenfranchised youth and I think that was you know a common thread from which I want to explore this phenomenon. Mm-hmm. And, and are you look, doing
0: that in 360? Are you, are you? No no three, this was something this, this was something straight, straightforward. Very straightforward
3: and okay. it was it's like I said it's something that you come and come kind of come across and you find interesting and for me it's just like the people are so you know the people I friends I made through doing this project are such, so amazing. I went back last year um, and you know met up with the same people and it's definitely made easier through social media. Yeah, and of course. Facebook. No, there are some good sides. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. And
0: I mean... I, for one, welcome on your
3: Yeah, and that's it. Like, cool. I think, uh, you know, my interest in something like this is talking about, you know, this whole, this almost like a, an optimistic view of humanity in the sense that they, you know, we have all these different stories. We come from these different places, but we all have commonalities as well. Mm-hmm. Right, and it's it's how to reconcile these commonalities, and in this case, it's using punk as a as a vehicle to talk about how you know, yeah, this situation that we are seeing politically in Cuba or yeah. in Morocco. How it's playing is, out on the streets. It's playing out people. on the streets. Yeah. It's it's like the same sort of you know uh, human uh, sentiments that we're dealing mm-hmm. with that we were dealing with in in Britain in the seventies, and like I said, in California, but like with the far the greater 80s.
0: consequences, obviously. Uh, I don't
3: know about far greater, but I mean that's that's something to be evaluated. That's part of the story. Is to explore right, that, right? right? It's to kind of figure that out and look okay. at the differences as well as the commonalities and have people decide for themselves what the situation is.
0: Well, man, this has been uh, like absolutely riveting. Like it's been a very deep, uh, like I, we really got into. Uh, clearly, we need to to have you back and uh, and challenge you on some other points because this has been very, this has been like very uh, uh, brain flexing.
3: Oh, thanks. Uh, <laughs> That's i'm kind of cool. wasted yeah
0: <laughs> well that's what's what we bring to the table yeah. right that's yeah. what we give back to our co- you know for all your your in- incredible ideas and yeah. explanations we bring alcohol and we <laughs> try to see if you can if you, yeah. stay, if you could stay sophisticated <laughs> throughout the whole show but seriously uh please come back uh and uh, anytime you have any projects that you're working on or anything you want to uh, anything you're working on like please share it with us. Like, we'll, we'll definitely promote it. We'll definitely yeah, I would love let everyone to. any links as well that you, you want to anything you want to sort of um, drop, you know, you let us know and we'll, uh, we'll include it in this podcast. Um, so if anyone wants to get in touch with you for work and things like that, is that something that you do?
3: Yeah, you can, you can contact me through my assistant, uh, Gian Gomeshi. Oh,
0: <laughs> <laughs> I heard he's tied up at the moment. Yeah. he. Uh, Ooh, oh. Oh. Layers. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think, <laughs> you know,
3: people can feel free to, you know, uh, I don't know why you would want to contact me, but if for whatever reason you want to contact me, mm-hmm. you can look me up um, on, I think, what's what's the best way to contact me? Right. Instagram. Is I'm going to really? be a little bit more crazy about sure. this. Let's more do Instagram. Okay. Let's, let's people, get funky. Used to, people used to talk visually a little bit more. So okay. look me up on Instagram. Um, my handle is uh, J-O-N-S-C-Y-U. Okay, Yeah. cool.
0: So check him out on Instagram, John Yu, uh, Fire in the Hall. Richard, any uh, any final words?
1: Nope.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you see the dynamic we have. You see how we, That's right. we feed off of each
1: other. He's a talker. I'm a listener. Yes. No, I'm, I'm just I'm super stoked that you came on today. It was, uh, it was a great show and hope to have you back sometime soon.
3: Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. It was great. Cool, man.
1: Well, Fire in the Hall. Fire in the Hall. Fire in the Hall. Check us out on iTunes. Great, uh, subscribe. Uh, leave us some comments on uh, SoundCloud.
0: Yep, we're on SoundCloud, we're on Stitcher, we're on iTunes. Um, spread the word if you like what we're doing. Um, let us know if you have thoughts about the show. And, uh, you know, send us messages if you want to be part of the show and if you think you have something cool to contribute.
1: Fire in the Whole Podcast at gmail.com.
0: There you go. So, Fire, Fire in the Whole Podcast on iTunes, on Stitcher, on SoundCloud check it out and thank you for listening
1: thanks very much
2: guys the in the in the hole